ways that we've been walking through, or at least exploring, the last uh, several weeks. Are trails that we're invited to take that help us, that, that lead us closer to Christ, that enable us to, in a sense, tune the receiver of our very soul, to, to tune it to the frequency of our Creator. So that we, we put aside, we, we clear away the static of the world around us, the competing stations that are within us, and the, the other voices and, and noises of even the evil one. So that we are, are hearing clearly and precisely what Jesus is calling us to do and how He's leading us to live. And that is at the heart of this spiritual pathway of fasting. Before we get there, I do want to um, take a moment, again, of thanking you for the opportunity that Chappie and I had to travel through the Middle East the last uh, three weeks where we journeyed with uh, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, and in, uh, from Jordan and Syria, from Iraq, and from Turkey. And, and I'll share a little bit more uh, about that and just the, the, the journey that it was from, really, from almost a pilgrimage for me in a way. Uh, because you know, Jordan is the, the land in which the Israelites finished the promise, um, finished their wandering in the wilderness. It's from Jordan, from a mountain in Jordan where Moses looked over and saw the promised land. And, and so... To be there was really a, just a fascinating experience. And, and then we ended up in Turkey, in Izmir, Turkey. And, and that is the, the land um, of the seven churches that John addresses in the book of Revelation, in the beginning chapters. So we, we really had a journey physically from Genesis to Revelation while we were there. And as I mentioned last week, and mention a little bit more today, just the, the, the unity that we felt. I, I, it, were, it were chills down my spine, really, and tears down my cheeks, being worshiping at First Presbyterian Church, Damascus, Syria, the land where Paul received his sight, and was where the city where he was lowered through a basket um, to, to get away from those that were persecuting him. And we, we said the Lord's Prayer together. Those of us from America in English and those from Syria and the Middle East in Arabic. And yet we said it uh, together. So it was an honor and, and I appreciate you uh, letting me go. Um, and, and sending Chappie especially as my guide. If you want to travel in the Middle East, he's the man to go with. That's for sure. So thank you for that. Let's, uh, let's continue and let's uh, in prayer. Gracious God, we do desire you. If we're not desperate for you, we want to be. If it's not all about you, show us the things that compete so that we might put them aside. We give our souls to you so that you will form uh, the, the potter forming the clay. Form us individually as a community so that we are more and more about Jesus and less and less about the things of this world. 
Lead us as we look at your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The passage is Matthew 4, uh, starting with verse 1. Uh, Matthew 6, I won't read now. We've read that already along with the reading from Deuteronomy. I'll refer back to that in a little bit. But it's found on page 785 in your pew Bible. Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now if you have any inkling of taking notes, you know there's a little place in your bulletin you can take notes. If a pen is within your uh, reach, I encourage you to take it. Just Just for this basic definition of fasting. The central idea in fasting is this. It's the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. The voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. It is a way that we deny a natural appetite in order to be opened to a supernatural hunger. Before we look any further at Matthew 4, if you still have your Bibles open, if you don't, don't worry about it. But Matthew 9, 16, and 18 gives another little example of fasting. Jesus speaking about fasting because at that time, the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him and the, the, asking about the Pharisees. You know, he's saying, listen, we fast. How come your disciples don't fast? And Jesus says, to them, verse 15, the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. The good news is fasting, denying ourselves of food or something else. Well, we can be creative with fasting. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The good news is that fasting is a discipline, a practice that we have here on earth. We won't do it in heaven. Just like we won't read the Bible in heaven. I mean, we'll have the living word right in front of us, face to face. Uh, In heaven it will be a feast. When we are with the the, the bridegroom at the wedding feast, the eternal wedding feast, we won't need to fast. But until then, we need to. While the, the groom is away from us, we fast, as I said earlier, so as to tune our souls To the frequency of God. It's a way that we in this 
world say no to ourselves so that we can say yes to God. In our, our passage, we see even Jesus in the fullness of his humanity. This is a hard thing to grasp. You know, Jesus fully human but fully God. And here we see highlighted the fullness of his humanity. That he went without eating 40 days and 40 nights. And you've got to love the end of verse 2. And afterwards, he was famished. Wow, thanks. That's a real insight there. Extreme clear grasp of the obvious. But necessary for us to understand because it would be our tendency to think, well, Jesus, he wasn't quite fully human, you know. He can do those kind of things. And it really doesn't affect him. Wrong. Jesus was fully human. So when he didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, famished. This time of fasting led him to one to see, to recognize, and it leads us to see our natural weaknesses, the frailty of being human, the creatureliness of our lives, that we need others, that it cries in the face of the lie of thinking we are independent of anything. We see that we are dependent. This, it even happens with Jesus. It's the reality that we need, that we can't do it alone. I mean, I remember realizing that even without having to choose to fast. You know, just sort of having dinner late a couple hours because I come home late and the kids run for cover because dad hasn't eaten and the patience level is real low and the conversation with Kathy is about grunts and moans and that's about it. And that's just for meeting from missing one meal. But we fast, we say no to ourselves, to a natural, a good appetite. We say no, and in so doing, we recognize that we are famished, that we are hungry, that we need food. And that's a good thing, to realize our human frailty and weakness. It's a really good thing, because Jesus tells us, only the sick need a doctor. Only the broken need to be made whole. Only sinners know they need a Savior. Only dependent, frail human beings know they need a God. If we are self-reliant, independent, pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps kind of people, and we don't let anyone know we are in need or broken, especially ourselves, then we're the kind of people that don't need God. And we live the lie of independence. Fasting from food, especially... Reminds us of our humanity, of our neediness, of our creatureliness. 
as our hunger wells up within us. Our hunger for food in a fast then turns us, is to turn us, is to direct our attention to our ultimate hunger for God. I mean, the only reason that seeing our brokenness is good is because we then turn to the one who can heal us, who can mend us. The only reason that feeling that hunger is good is because then we turn to the one who can satisfy us, who can fill us. We fast to experience our hunger so that we turn to God who can satisfy us. Again, Jesus does the same thing. You see that here in his fasting. He fasts, he sees his weakness, so does the evil one, the tempter. And he jumps on Jesus and says, come on, you don't need that. You can fix it. You've got the power. Feed yourself, son of God. Turn this rock into bread. you got the power within you. I mean, you want it, you need it, go get it. And in the face of that hunger, Jesus says no. And reminds the evil one, as he reminds us, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is our true hunger for our Creator. As we read earlier in Deuteronomy, as Jesus quoted in John chapter 4, our food is to do the very will of God. That is what nourishes us beyond the physical. So so we fast to experience our weakness. We we take a period of time when we say we're not going to eat in order to be in touch with our humanity and our natural dependence. And we fast so that that hunger is redirected. So that 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 weakness is refocused on God who we know will satisfy us for all eternity. We see that throughout the Scriptures, not only in this passage in Matthew, but, but throughout. In, in the packet that you received today, the, the spiritual, the connections packet, you see in the bottom of the first page, it gives you a couple other examples of fasting in the Scriptures. We're given no real details, no real how-tos, but we're just told it happens over and over again, and that it's a, it is this form of prayer. It is this form, this activity that we engage or that we don't engage in in order to turn our hearts to God. Could be a season of repentance, of seeing our sin all the more, and so we, we fast before God in repentance. Could be a time, like with Jesus, of preparation and dedication. It can be a, a time of, of seeking God's blessing or God's wisdom or, or God's deliverance. If you remember, David fasted before God for the life of his infant son that was born to Bathsheba. And regularly coupled with prayer. A holy habit or discipline 
Uh, the, the longest periods of time that I have fasted, that I've gone without food, were around major decisions, seeking God's wisdom. The biggest one was about 22 years ago, seeking God's wisdom and fasting for four or five days. I don't remember exactly, but before I asked my wife to marry me. And that worked really well, so I've fasted for other decisions since, too. <laughs> I don't know what it says about my weakness of faith that I didn't give her the option to fast, but wanted an answer then. And, and before major job, before coming here, I mean, we fasted for a couple days to really sit and listen to be clear before God. It is a, a holy habit, a discipline. And I'm here to give discipline a good name. Because it's just not natural that we live according to the ways of Jesus. And we've got to get that in our head. And so we have to take intentional actions. We have to choose to walk down spiritual pathways. I mean, being here is an intentional decision of saying, I need to be in a place where God is worshipped because left to myself, I won't do it. So a discipline is a good thing. A practice here in fasting of self-denial. Jesus commands us to do that. Remember, he, he says, anyone who wants to follow me must deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me. Well, this is a way to practice that. Practice self-denial. And that certainly is something we don't naturally practice. Especially in, in our context. Being, being out of our context and being immersed in another one drastically different than ours for about three weeks in countries where Christians are the minority, where Presbyterians are the minority of minorities because they're not Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox. Being a Christian in those contexts is hard work Every day, it is an act of self-denial simply to call yourself a Christian and walk out the front door. And sometimes, not even, you don't even have to walk out the front door. Most of the brothers and sisters that I met in Syria, in, uh, from Iraq, uh, in Turkey, in Jordan, gained no earthly benefit from being a Christian. None. They gained no social stature. Matter of fact, it was just the opposite. I guarantee you, you go into Amman, Jordan, and you get the yellow pages there, there is not a business with a little fish, ichthus mark on it. Because that isn't going to get you any business. It was an act of self-denial simply to be a follower of Jesus in their context. I mean, women, when they went to the grocery store, if they showed their identity card, which they were asked for, which in Iraq has your religion on there, which is announced at birth, and if it was Christian, you were asked to stand in the corner until everybody else made it through the line. Because you were a Christian. Story after story after story after of men 
who were refused promotions, who were demoted, or who were fired from their work because they went to church regularly. And we all had to watch our language in public. It wasn't four-letter words that were bad. Well, those are bad. It was words like missionary. He didn't say that in public. He didn't say evangelism. And it was absolutely forbidden for anyone to publicly proclaim the gospel outside the walls of their church building. But yet... Even though that is a far cry from our world of freedom and self-fulfillment, which can be a lure of ease that allows our faith to atrophy into nothing because there's no resistance to it. Now, I found there a real joy and a deep faith in, in Hannah, Alsaka, even though her brother had been martyred a year and a half ago, I found real tears too. In Peter, who was forced from his home with his family at the age of 81, because he was a follower of Jesus, of Halida, who was fired from her job as a university professor because she was a follower of Jesus. And her co-workers who refused to leave and clean out their offices the next day were executed in the lawn of the university. I'm afraid in our situation of ease, of a lack of resistance, it allows our faith to be weak and our joy to be stolen. It doesn't seem like it would work this way, but as we practice the self-denial of fasting, we put ourselves in a position, as contrived as it is, of sacrifice in order to turn our attention to God. We, We go against the slogans of our age. You deserve it. I did it my way. You can have it all. I demand my rights. And we do just the very opposite. And we practice self-denial because absolutely nothing in our culture, in our situation, encourages that. Our Christian brothers and sisters in some other lands do it naturally every day. And there, the quantity of believers may be low, but the quality of faith is extremely high. The overflow of joy in a, season, in, in a situation where it, you would think would be absent is overwhelming. So we put ourselves in this place of self-denial, even of suffering. I mean, it's controlled. It's a practice. I mean, it's doing without food for a season or with something else. But it's a practice that turns our eyes to our own weakness so that we, in turn, might turn ourselves to the One who is our strength. Our strong tower, as the psalmists say. And in there we learn to live by faith 
and not by sight. Thomas Akempa said it well as he spoke about the, the intentional actions of fasting. Whosoever knows best how to suffer will keep the greatest peace. That man is conqueror of himself and Lord of the world, the friend of Christ and heir of heaven. When we practice the self-denial of fasting, when we say no to ourselves and yes to God, we learn that our most constant resources come from God. And like Jesus before the devil, who puts food, who knows food is really beyond meat and potatoes and even chocolate cake, the food of the soul that sustains us, the water that never runs dry, comes from God. And the hunger pangs and the desires that we face lead us to a joy because we feast on God. That's what Augustine said about fasting. It is there that he experienced the spiritual inner joy. It is there where he chose to feast upon God. In my own experience, I've had different seasons of fasting. For a couple years, even, fasted one day a week following the habit of Wesley and his, uh, the, the groups, the Wesleyan groups of his day. Now, my habit is more to, to start every month and ask God, what day, what fast, or I skip three meals do, do I take? What day is it? And some of it's just sort of plain, simple, common sense. Uh, I don't pick a day where I've got a meal, uh, a time that I'm, I'm scheduled to go out to eat with somebody. Where's a day where nothing like that is scheduled? And set that aside. I tell Kathy, my wife, just because don't want her mad at me, don't want her think I don't like her cooking. But nobody else. And then let the experience come to me. As my body grows Hungry? Feel the hunger. Look at it. Face to face. Don't try to run it. Don't run from it. Don't try to fight it. Acknowledge it. At times, I'll get a headache. They tell me that's because I drink tea, both the British kind, the hot stuff, and the southern kind, the cold stuff. And it has caffeine. And when you don't get that, it causes headaches. And at times, when I've been pushing myself too hard, overachieving, pursuing, accomplishing this or that, when I'm pushing myself too hard, a fast will cause me to crash. See, my my food intake has been covering up a multitude of sins, (laughs) of my lack of rest, my need to achieve at times. Often, often though, I will feel a cleansing, a resting, even... through the pain, actually even a heightened alertness. My energy level is usually lower. It almost always is. But my spiritual level is higher. I mean, almost every time I realize when I, when I finish the fast, what, what I've done is for God and how God has honored those feeble attempts. I mean, whoop-de-doo, skip a meal or two. 
He has awakened me to Himself and accomplished much more spiritually than I ever could have accomplished physically. I mean, often, the days that I don't fast, I go through rushing, working, pushing, accomplishing, meeting here, answering this, saying this, doing that. Even Bible study becomes one of the things to do and accomplish and check off the list. Oftentimes, even though I work in a church building without much thought of God, but in the days that I fast, that I intentionally deny myself, it's just not an option to rush, to push, to accomplish, because physically, I'm not able. But my awareness of God's work is much greater. And I find what Augustine was speaking about, a satisfaction and a joy and a fullness that can come from saying no to self and saying yes to God, from feasting upon Him. Now, there are a number of options for fasting. It doesn't just have to be food. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, encourages husband and wife to fast from the marriage bed for a season so that they might focus their attention on prayer. So if that's an option, there's a whole bunch of other options too. I wouldn't mind being fly on the wall, a couple of conversations at lunch today with a few couples. But I fasted as well from reading the newspaper, watching the TV for seasons, for weeks, for, for eating out. I mean, those kind of things, whatever it might be for you to, to fast from for a season. And, and it's amazing in those fasts as well. Because, and the reason I mention this is because some of you can't fast for food. I mean, it's, it's never a command, and it's really just too unhealthy for you physically to do it. Season in life or just physical makeup, so don't do it. But you've got plenty of other options where you'll still feel the hunger for something else and it'll, it will turn you to God. Because it's amazing the times that I've fasted from reading the newspaper. My, my dad was a newspaper man. We always had a newspaper in my house. It's amazing. Walking by the front door, I can even feel the newspaper calling my name. Catherine Marshall... Some of you will know her, may have read her book, Christie. She was the wife of Peter Marshall, who was the chaplain in the Senate for a long time, in the middle of last century. Um, she took a day and fasted from judgment. Uh, criticalness. Judgment, which is a good thing. I mean, to make judgment is a good thing. We, we ask each other, what do you think? What are your opinions? So it's not bad judgment, is totally bad a lot of times. It can be. But she said she was going to fast for a full day from any critical word, any judgmental word. And one, she was shocked by how silent she was during the course of the day. And, and, and two, let me tell you, I, just quoting from her, or how she feasted on God through this. She realized... That her, one, 
what she thought her critical nature, her judgment, was really part of her arrogance, telling other people how to do things that would really change the world. And she found out the world still turned on its axis, even without her wisdom and insight. And even more so, what she'd found was that her criticalness, her penchant for judgment, had stifled seeing the work of God all around her. It had stolen her joy and stifled her creativity in prayer, in relationships, and even in her writings. So fasting has a multitude of possibilities what to fast from. And what I encourage you to do is choose something simple and direct for a specific focus of time. Don't don't try 40 days right off the bat. Something that is doable but is challenging. Remember, part of the goal is to deny ourselves. So that means it's no fair um, denying ourselves and fasting from homework or raking the leaves, those kind of things. And certainly, don't do it to impress anybody. I mean, if anything you get from the passage of Jesus in Matthew 6, it's, it's, it's not to be done for anyone else but unto God. And it's certainly not to impress God either. But to wake ourselves up to God. So if you have a pension of, of fasting in order to impress God, don't do it. Do something else as a spiritual pathway. I mean, we've, we're going to give you six. But we do encourage everyone to fast next Saturday. Two, three meals, whether it's dinner and breakfast or start with, uh, with lunch, dinner and breakfast next Saturday, if that works for you, so that then when we gather together, we break the fast at the table and truly feast on Jesus where He is our host. And, and if that's of interest to you and you'd like a companion on that journey, on that pathway, uh, Kenny will be out in the atrium with little cards that you can put your name and number and you give him a card with your name and number, he'll give you a card with somebody else's. And y'all are simply the companion just to call each other Saturday morning, to, to call each other during the fast or speak to each, and to speak to each other afterwards. What did you experience and learn? Just a companion to help each other on the journey of this particular spiritual pathway. If it doesn't work for you this Saturday, that's okay. Find one that does. If it's not food, what is it? Where is God calling you, leading you to this particular spiritual pathway so as to tune yourself better to His voice? You know, most of the reason I think we don't fast is, well, I think there's two reasons. One, it hurts. Uh, self-denial is supposed to. It's not supposed to be comfortable. Yeah? We don't like it. My stomach goes queasy. You get a headache. I don't like it. So that's one of the reasons we don't. And the other is because we're, we're scared we're going to fail. We're going to give in to temptation. Well, both of them are true. You will. You will fail and, and it will hurt. So... If we don't do anything because we fail, we'd be quiet. We wouldn't, we'd never do anything. It's better to go ten, ten minutes than no minutes. 
Better to go an hour than no time. And, and remember, please remember, this is the core of our very essence as Christians. We live by grace. We are saved by grace, not by faith. Yeah, you'll fail. I fail all the time. And we turn out, and even that will make us turn unto God, and then we start over in Him. We don't live by works. So give up trying to succeed. Do what we can. Start the pathway. The only next step you can take is the next step. As far as that takes you. Whatever the journey of fasting is for you. Yeah, it'll hurt. And yeah, you'll fail. And God will be right in the middle of it. And you'll experience Him in ways that you haven't experienced Him before. And that's what the spiritual pathways are about. So again, I invite you to do that next Saturday. As, as we enact what we have here. That the Word, the Jesus, the living Word even, is our sustenance.